0: Hello, my name is David Ian McKendry former Fangoria video producer and writer back in the early 2010s, and now podcast host of this show, Penning Terror. Now, each episode of Penning Terror, I'll be interviewing renowned horror writers to get their insight into the craft of horror writing and the business in general from a writer's perspective. This show is for both up-and-coming writers out there that are looking for advice from professional working writers, as well as you non-writers out there who are just curious about the process or just want to hear an in-depth, behind-the-scenes, account of how your favorite horror films got onto the page. Whatever brought you here, I hope you enjoy the show and that you walk away with something useful from it. And now on with Penning Terror. Whenever you come in here and interrupt me, you're breaking my concentration. You're me. You're, me. you're me. And it will then take time to get back to where I was. You're me. You're me. That means that I am working, working, working. I'm in here, that means that I am working. 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 That means don't come in. How do you think you can handle that? It's 2020 and surfing the web is dead. All the horror news you need is now just one click away. Fangoria.com is your first destination for all the horror news of the day, featuring a constant curation of the Fango team's favorite links from across the internet. You'll also find deep dives and daily thoughts from the biggest names in horror, as well as exclusive access to the Fangoria vault. Check out Fangoria.com for yourself and see the horror right before your eyes. Use promo code PENNINGTERROR for 15% off right now. Now, that's promo code Penning Terror, PENNINGTERROR for 15% off right now. Hey, gang, today on the show we've got Simon Barrett, writer of A Horrible Way to Die, Your Next, and The Guest. You also remember his work from the VHS series and ABCs of Death. Uh, this is just a great interview. He's a wonderful guest. Had so much to say about the the craft and the business and some really cool insight. Well, thanks for coming on here today. Oh, no um, problem, yeah. I, I don't know if you were told about the show, but what we uh, what I'm doing here is I, I like to do like a casual conversation with writers. And at the same time, impart some wisdom to some up and coming writers that that that. Uh, might want some tips on on the how to navigate the business how to navigate the craft mostly so thank you so much for coming on is, is that really what this show is about yeah yeah okay because yeah. that's like absolutely like um the thing that i'm worst at oh is that right
1: yeah. uh yeah that's that's yes i get that a lot uh i've never once i think given anyone an answer that satisfied either of us yeah um but you know let's see if we can delve a little deeper today and i don't also uh I I never studied writing. I don't really think of myself as a writer and I'm always kind of flattered when people call me that.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it seems to be from doing these interviews kind of a running theme is that nobody really wants to say like, this is how you write but everybody has a process to it and that that works for them. And then some bits and pieces I find help other people. Oh, for sure. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I follow some
1: inspirational Twitter accounts that are like, you know, like you got to write like 10,000 words every day and, and get up at 7am and do your calisthenics and write from eight to five. And,
0: you oh, know, no. are you thought, doing any of that? No.
1: Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> no. Fuck no, like, no, I mean, I wish like you read those Stephen King books where he's like, I get up every day and I sit in my office from eight to five and I write, you know, one tenth of a novel and then I go spend time with my family. And it's like, yeah, that's cool, man. Like, like you, you know, it's nice that you do that. But like, you know, that's not really actionable advice for most human beings. Um, but it is, you know, no, I mean, I, 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 I go into depressive fugues where I go on the internet and, and try to find inspiration from other creators. And uh, usually it just makes me frustrated and angry. And, and also then I'm on the internet. So I, you know, spend five hours procrastinating um, by just like refreshing Twitter as I get <laughs> gradually more and more upset, but um, you know, it could work uh, eventually. So perhaps someone who's procrastinating right now on their work by listening to this will find inspiration or, More likely, they'll get so frustrated with uh, the tone of my voice and my cadence that they'll fling their phone across the room and
0: uh, it will break and they will be forced to begin actual work. That's a that's a good uh, step for a writer there. I think or the, you're going to get them procrastinating and looking up quotes by Stephen King uh, even further. I mean, <laughs> you know, if you're listening to this, you've probably read every book yeah. I just was referencing. And you're probably <laughs> using this as a procrastination tool yeah,
1: right now. So. Yeah. In which case, you know, just like like, I guess I'm not going to say this sincerely, but listen to the entire episode. Uh, respect any sponsors that are referenced at any point.
0: <laughs> then. Turn off all your devices and get back to work. Yeah, no, I find I find I have that same problem of you know the computer that you work on is also this great distraction tool. Oh Uh, yeah, just the world is out there just right at your fingertips. (laughs) Yeah, I mean you
1: know look, you know the the. The pitfalls of modern technology are something that we complain about a lot. But when I think that my like my favorite novels of all time are written on a typewriter, yeah, uh, without any ability to just like scroll back and change a character name or be like, oh, like wait, this story is going in this direction, mm-hmm. so I need to go back and change those like five scenes. I mean, the way that I work is so based on the uh, the notion of of everything being you know adaptable. Uh, I don't tend to outline. Um, unless I'm being paid to, or, or forced to, for some reason, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't tend to do a lot of planning, but I tend to write my endings first, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then build towards those endings is, 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 it tends to be one of my, I, I don't actually know anyone who specifically writes the way that I do, but, but that's my version of making sure that I have the script incredibly concrete in my head before I really get to work on it is I write my like last 20 pages or last year's last three pages, depending on the project first. And then I go to the top of that document, that mm-hmm. file, and I, but like, you know, fade in. Um, and so, you know, so I would be a disaster in the freehand typewriter mm-hmm. era. Uh, you know, I know Tarantino, uh, very notoriously, um, writes all his scripts in longhand on, on like yellow notebook paper. And, and obviously I think he's an incredibly gifted writer, uh, and filmmaker. Um, but uh, that's just so weird to me. I've tried to do that. I've tried to do that. Like when I'm on vacation or right now, currently my computer's in the shop, you know, um, fucking post 2016 MacBook pro keyboard bullshit. (sighs) But, uh, are they a sponsor? No, Sweet. no. Okay.
0: So, so um, computer's we, we do this on a, uh, we do this had, on uh, MS. So, <laughs> oh, perfect. I
1: haven't had a computer now for going on a uh, 96 hours, which is crazy. Yeah. Given kind of how much stuff I'm working on. It's, it's really been uh, shocking how, how kind of uh, impotent and vulnerable I feel like without the ability to like, you know, work on all the things I'm working on, on anything other than my phone. Cause I don't own a tablet for reasons that I, I might need to examine But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the way that I work is, is so dependent on the kind of technology that, that, you know, has evolved in my lifetime, uh, software programs that make screenwriting incredibly easy and so on. Uh, and I can list my faves if, if anyone has any interest in that people Mm -hmm. do ask me that question. I don't know why they're all the same, but, but. You know, I do have opinions, I guess, because, you know, you can't not. Uh, But mainly it is like now that the Internet is a thing and social media is a thing. And, you know, these websites are extremely designed to keep us uh, refreshing and re reclicking. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we found out that, you know the emotion that triggers the most uh, immediate response is, is anger and outrage. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and so, you know, and I'm as susceptible to that as anyone. I, am self-aware of it, but that doesn't mean I am invulnerable to it. Uh, in fact, uh, I'm quite vulnerable to it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I will, uh, get stressed out and then the day kind of vanishes, but, you know, look, procrastination is, is just, um, you know, uh, another kind of weird form of, of insecurity and self-harm. And, and so I think that's kind of the more interesting conversation to have mm-hmm. is, is the thing that's preventing you from writing is uh, largely, you know, like not like so much insecurity or these specific things that people talk about, but it's, it's just like depression really. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that, uh, that is more interesting to me um, is the way that that kind of particular feeling of, of insecurity of will is good you know, Once I execute it as I, as I need it to be, as I hope it to be, as the people who are paying me to write it need it to be, um, the way that the vulnerability of that emotion is so easily uh, diverted by a 20-second clip of a dog on a treadmill, uh, and, and then you find other 20-second clips of other dogs on treadmills, and then you're like, this is extremely good shit. And then uh, two months later, uh, you haven't done anything.
0: Right. So you have to kind of feed your brain something else or it's just going to devour itself.
1: Well, you yeah. just have to
0: get to work.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I do think probably the best advice that any writer can give another writer, and it's the most cliched and it's the most frustrating and I don't do it, uh, is to write every day. whether mm-hmm. It's just one word. I think who is... Um, Someone, uh, there's an author, Terry Pratchett, I believe, uh, kind of notoriously is like in the Stephen King camp, but, but on a different level in that he writes 400 words every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, 400 words is an extremely achievable goal. That's, uh-huh. that's like, that's like two tweets, Yeah, you know, like, like that's, 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 you can handle that. 400 words every day is actually, uh, kind of interesting. Um, you know, I, I, I think that's kind of an interesting thing because if you set your goal that low, the interesting thing about it is you'll write, you'll obviously write more than that. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll write your 400 words. You're like, okay, I did it. (laughs) That took two seconds, but then you're, you start enjoying yourself. You start thinking I'm doing this for me and not because I have to. Um, the funniest thing, of course, about becoming a professional writer is, you know, until I made a living making films and producing films and directing films and, and the, the career that I'm fortunate enough to have now, uh, you know, I still wrote all the time. I got into writing, uh, because it was the only thing I could do for free. Um, and, uh, as soon as it became something that was like my job, uh, I suddenly started wanting to do it a lot less. Right. <laughs> and, and, and I never, i you know, I'd swore to myself that if I was ever fortunate enough to have this career that I would be, you know, no less hardworking and disciplined, Um, than when I had a day job and was doing this in my off hours and having to take off to having to take time off to go make these movies with Adam uh, in in Missouri and stuff. Um, And, uh, and, you know, it wasn't true. Uh, You know, I kind of, um, I kind of did have to get over like a psychological hurdle of like, wait, this is my work now. And for some reason, that success makes me anxious. And like, it could be taken away from me at any moment. And that makes me not want to do it right um even though the the, like the thing that i'm doing is is like you know obviously the only thing that could make that happen the only thing that could make me fail is is not doing the work um you know so it's a very it's a very complicated process you know being alone and and, you know, with a computer screen and the Internet at your fingertips and, and you know, having, you know, a six week deadline.
0: Mm-hmm. You think that comes from uh, the jobs you have to take along the way to getting to this goal of being a working filmmaker where you're doing these jobs where you don't want to be there and you build up this. Just psychological aversion to the jobs that you're forced to do before you get there and it kind of carries itself over
1: No, because you know, I I I know some people who've had, you know, different lives than me I, Obviously mm-hmm. I grew up, you know, fairly fairly poor uh, working-class family and you know, so I didn't and in I grew up in mid Missouri, you know, mm-hmm. Boone County, Missouri so you know, I didn't have a lot of like connections, but I know a lot of people who did grow up here uh, and, and in wealthy families linked to the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they're any better at this than I am. Right. <laughs> uh, I think they still have the exact same and, and I don't begrudge anyone, you know, if they, if that was their, you know, if it, well I do, but, but I, but I try not to yeah. <laughs> if, they, if they had, you know, an easier path than I did uh, you know, of course uh, you know, that's that, you know, it's not like um, it's not like I think like, you know Spike Jones or someone is 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 less brilliant uh, for for you know having grown up in a different place than I did or whatever. Um, I actually have no idea where he grew up, but he seems like a good person to name. Yeah, uh, but no, I mean I know I know other people who did not have to work horrible day jobs and and you know didn't work in a nursing home like I did or mm-hmm. or that was probably actually my most depressing job. But I also worked full time in a factory, uh, for almost a year after, uh, after high school, mm-hmm. uh, before I, uh, was able to go off to college. And those were pretty bad jobs I, you know, the, like the factory was more of a warehouse type situation that was really depressing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that kind of did make me think like, you know, I really need to, you know, I don't have any other options. I need to be making films for a living or I, or I'm, uh, probably not going to be like, um, mentally okay. Um, and so, you know, that, uh, that was interesting to me cause that really was my impetus, but I don't think that necessarily working those miserable jobs at that young age, I'm sure that did change my brain in certain ways, mm-hmm. you know, for example, the lack of sleep, uh, was yeah. one thing I was probably sleeping, uh, you know, during my kind of formative teenage years, I was probably sleeping only like three hours a night. And, and in retrospect, that does do kind of bad things to us. We yeah. have kind of learned a little about that, but, um, you know, and I, I would get up, I mean when I was like 13, 14, I think I got my first job when I was like 15. Uh, but uh you know I would literally wake up and drink like a pint, a pot of coffee when I was like four, you know 13, 14 years old right. and and now it's like oh you know and I'd get like you know an hour or two of sleep and then I'd sleep in my classes mostly uh, at school and uh you know, now we know that that's really unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's really like, like, don't, don't let your kids do that. And and my parents didn't know. I mean, my parents are are great people. They just, they didn't know. Yeah. My um, coffee back then was half sugar and half uh, milks. What I would actually do. And this is, this is 100% true. I would brew a pot of instant of, of, you know, I, it wasn't like instant coffee. It was just like cheap, cheap coffee. Right. And then I would put a packet of a Swiss Miss Milk, milk chocolate uh, or hot chocolate mix in it right. to make like my version of like a mocha, uh-huh. and I would just chug that. And you know, this is like five, six in the morning, and and then you know, and it. I mean, look. By the way, if we want to get on a really r- rambling topic, and every podcast interview I do, by the way, is like this. Uh, That's fine with if me. You had a bunch of questions that you wanted. To
0: I'll ask, get to them eventually. Well, you know, <laughs> you,
1: you, you might. Uh, we're probably just going to ramble about nonsense, yeah. and then and then eventually you'll realize that you shouldn't have asked me to come on your show. <laughs> but but you know, like an interesting thing is is we know for a fact that students do better the later school begins right right? yeah like like, you know why does school begin at 8 a.m instead of 10 Mm a.m like we know that the more sleep young people get the better they perform but we haven't changed that no I mean you know and and that's just like a very strange thing as a culture that we kind of have just like agreed to not talk about or think about is that school for some reason most public school I obviously went to public school Um, You know, it's from like 7 a.m. to like 2.45 p.m. Yeah, Uh, because it's convenient for parents. They drop their kids off. They pick and, you know, the kids can get home on their own. Uh, In my case, I mostly walked to school uh, until I was... um,
0: able to get a girlfriend with a car. Right. <laughs> well, we still seem to be stuck on this, uh, this farm schedule.
1: Yeah. You know, to yeah, get up in the morning and it. tend the, yeah. the, the
0: fields. and
1: Yeah. And yeah. look, hey, if you live on a farm, first of all, you you probably are experiencing other aspects good of, luck. of life. <laughs> well, of life. Well, yeah, good luck. But yeah, you're also probably experiencing different aspects of life and nature where like you probably are having like an 8 p.m. bedtime and you're fine. You know, I was just like, you know, I've always been a person who kind of had a, uh, difficulty going to sleep early yeah um, I tend to work at night uh, especially if I'm working in the horror genre mm-hmm. I, I, uh, if I'm doing a project in horror I tend to have a hard time uh, working during the day That mm-hmm. um, just set some mood for you yeah say, exactly yeah. I you know when when you know I I I'm used to living with like roommates um, and, and, you know, once I got kind of my own place, I was still kind of in the pattern of like, like when everything else gets kind of quiet, that's when I get to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I still kind of do that. There also also just something to be said for the fact that, you know, I'm not just a writer. I do produce and direct films. Yeah. And so like my average day Uh, is a lot of like phone calls and meetings and emails. If I'm not actively in production on Mm -hmm. something, if I'm in production on something, then obviously that's even more extreme or if I'm in post-production or, you know, if if we're actively casting, you know, then, then, you know, I mean, obviously if we're doing something like sound mixing or color grading, you know, those are like kind of extreme, you know, nine to 7 PM days. And it's very hard for me to get any actual writing done on a day when I've been like sitting in a room like listening to like, you know, a tree falling over and over and over and trying to make it crunchier. Right. Um, you know, like, <laughs> so, like, so, you know, so, so, it, it, so because I'm more actively involved in actual film production yeah. uh, you know, it really just depends on my day. So I think I tend to write at night cause that's also when people stop calling me yeah. uh, and, and I, and people stop emailing me and I can kind of be like, okay, I'm not a filmmaker now I'm a writer. And I put on my writer pants, which are bright blue, mm-hmm. um, and I buckle them in uh, because they uh, they have a buckle on them, mm-hmm. um, as so everyone's writer pants should be. I hope people are I writing need this to down find right. a writer's uh, pants store. Yeah, I hope people are taking notes. I mean, it would be really uh, frustrating if we were just wasting our time here. Yeah. I mean, they can always um, back up. <laughs> well, yeah, good point. They can always rewind. So <laughs> yeah. rewind and really pay attention to what yeah. I just said. Writer's pants. Writer's pants. And, um, you know, it, it, it really does, you know, it used to be like in my 20s, you know, I'd pour myself a a glass of whiskey and, you know, and, and, you know, uh, the Bukowski method. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, once I hit 30 or so, that didn't work. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. that didn't help. And it's very likely that that never worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, uh, never led to any good quality in my scripts, but, uh, but you know, that was kind of how I would, uh, get over the stress of the day, especially having a day job that was fairly stressful. Uh, and which, um, yeah uh having a day job for 10 years that was actually pretty stressful you know being able to kind of relax myself um and uh and switch brains into kind of a creative gear i I did kind of need uh well i wouldn't say i needed booze but i would say i i I chose to consume it Mm -hmm. uh, pretty much daily and then uh that's not necessarily a good pattern so you need to kind of find other ways to to do that obviously otherwise you will um well among other things your work will get crappy
0: yeah i think that's a phase a lot of writers go for or go through is thinking that they have to have this crutch that they've been taught all these years like oh you're you're a writer you you drink or you smoke and you eventually reach that age where it's like no you don't want to not it yeah
1: yeah and look i I, and i'm still pretty vulnerable to that you know it's just i've kind of replaced that with like green tea and, and, and you know and and and, you know, I I am fortunate enough, you know, that I've found a really good martial arts school out here. And I've been training there oh, nice. for uh, actually quite quite near where we are right now. I've been training there for over 18 years. Oh, wow. So I've learned like a bit of meditation techniques in, in that process. What, um, what style are you, uh, uh, you? I teach I teach mostly actually the Tai Chi classes. Oh, cool. Uh, Yang style, nice. Kuan Ping style. And uh, Chen style Tai Chi, and okay. I, and uh, also water boxing, Lo Ho ba Fa. Uh-huh. Um But we, but uh, my like black belt degrees are in uh, Kenpo Karate, Southern nice. Shaolin uh, Kung Fu, and uh, Lima Lama. Yeah. And then I do have a black sash uh, in Tai Chi, but I don't really like. Even I think even like my teacher doesn't really like <laughs> doesn't, like know quite what that means. <laughs> right. That's just like when you become like an instructor. It's like like what yeah. you know. We do teach uh, combat Tai Chi, but it's like how do yeah. you become a Tai Chi black sash? Yeah. You're just like. Are, are, are mellow enough. Yeah. You know that, yeah. So anyway, so I do. So, so, you know, so those are kind of interesting, uh, martial arts to train in. Yeah. But, uh, but that's also, um, that actually is serious advice that I give to most writers, which is like, you kind of need to have something physical. Yeah. Um, that, that helps you deal with stress and anxiety. Uh, I martial arts obviously is for a very specific mentality yeah. and, and, and individual martial arts are, are individual, are, you know, are themselves obviously very different but you know rock climbing jogging hiking you know yoga all these things are great um and and that's what i really recommend because otherwise it's very easy for your body to decay Mm -hmm. um also uh i'm a big believer in like get dressed properly yeah even if if you're not leaving the house like don't just like wear like your sweatpants and 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 like socks like like you know fortunately now i or fortunately i should be in air quotes but fortunately now i have a dog uh who forces me to to go outside several times a day yeah um you know when i'm really on like a writing jag uh so that's so i have to You know, be somewhat presentable, or I'll feel ashamed because I live in a neighborhood with a bunch of attractive people, (laughs) and I always
0: feel like a weird ghoul. Yeah, Yeah. no, I discovered uh, Krav Maga about six years ago, Mm -hmm. yeah, and it's it's been my replacement for that mentality of having to numb yourself, just having that exertion of activity. I think it really, it takes away the distractions in your brain and gets you to focus. It does. I but I mean, even just beyond that, you know, like, like I, I tend to, so I, I have
1: in my home office, which I've only had for a few months prior to this, uh, throughout my life, I've lived in, uh, you know, for the last 16 years, I lived in a one bedroom apartment. I would just kind of write that like my, my kitchen table or on the couch, um, and now I have an office uh, for the first time in my life and career. Um, and I have like a standing desk and I have a seating desk and I have two chairs for mm-hmm. my seating desk. Mm-hmm. And I just like, whenever part of my body just starts to hurt, I just like switch to the next yeah. one. Oh, the standing <laughs> desk is great. Standing desk is great until it isn't. Yeah. And, 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 you know, like, look, I'm envious of people like, I, you know, I go to like agent meetings and whatever, and they have these like fancy treadmill desks. And I'm like, that'd be amazing. But I also bet I could get like no serious work done. I bet right. that's like great for like email and stuff like you'd feel like your life is or like reading other people's scripts where you kind of feel like you know you want to be multitasking so you're not like just like wasting time on your own projects Mm -hmm. but like when it comes to serious writing i'm not sure i can do good work with like my heart rate elevated and trying (laughs) to keep my balance and all the kind of little mental distractions uh of of walking in place um and even standing sometimes i do just find like After a while, I'm just distracted by the physical exertion of standing.
0: Yeah. Um, So I like having options. I know somebody that uh, I went to their office. They had the standing desk and then the balance ball they're standing on. It's like that half balance ball. So I I, (laughs) I, I have that. Oh, you do have that?
1: Yeah. I I use a wobble board. Okay. Um, And the reason I do that is actually so because I've been doing martial arts for so long and because I'm not otherwise, um, you know, a a particularly athletic person, uh, certainly not in my genetic makeup. Um, I have a bunch of knee injuries. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So... Uh, it's, it's good for me to be able to micro adjust. Mm -hmm. Um, this is, this is, this is really not, I think what the listeners want. Let's, let's let's move on. Uh, (laughs) Let's move move on. (laughs) If anyone's anyone's interested in hearing about my wobble board, they can tweet at me.
0: Yeah. We'll put out an Amazon link for how to get your own. Yeah. 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 Well, so you started, um, I don't know if you you started out in acting, but you do, you did act in a number of of films, uh, in your earlier. Well, no,
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, uh, I acted in films. I think people think I'm being immodest or something when I say this, but, but truly when, when Adam and I were making these early films, um, we would have actors cancel on us because we couldn't mm-hmm. afford to pay them. Um, and, 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 uh, you know, Adam is also, you know, Adam's in VHS. Uh, you know, it, it was it, uh, being able to cast ourselves. I think I talked to, uh, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead about this recently, like being, having the ability to cast ourselves, just meant like actors that we know we knew would show up. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, I, I, I don't think uh, so. So that was somewhat out of necessity. Um, I, I increasingly don't think uh, I have any gift whatsoever for acting and, and I don't ever really plan to do it again. Uh, I kind of like doing cameos and stuff, but, but again, the cameos that I enjoy doing, like my perfect role uh, in any film and the, certainly the performance that I'm proudest of is as uh tiger mask in your next, uh-huh. because I'm masked for the entire movie until I'm dead. Yeah. Uh, I do good voice exertions. I don't have any dialogue. <laughs> right. Uh, and my character just is, uh, ultimately very ineffectual and killed instantly. Right. <laughs> and, and, and then I spent the rest of the movie and this is at 100% true. Like I would be up in the attic, like working as a producer on that film, you know, running down, talking to Adam about scenes, talking to the actors, talking to Sharni, especially I worked with Sharni every morning uh, while she was in makeup on kind of going through like what what the day's scenes were and and stuff. And then I would run up and do like other work. And then like literally they'd be like, we need you. We need you down lying on the floor. And so we can pour blood on your head. Cause like we need your corpse in the scene. <laughs> right. And I would just like run down there. They'd pour blood on my head. I'd lie there for like the entire scene. I'd get back up, run back upstairs with my, my head crusted with all this red right. syrup. And, and that was like the perfect example of like me acting in a movie where it was of benefit because mm-hmm. to get another actor to, to get a real actor to do that would have been such a thankless job. And, and I would have felt frankly pretty guilty mm-hmm. asking anyone else to take on that role. Cause it is, like such a thankless role in some ways, but I had a lot of fun doing it. And furthermore, because again, because I do have some martial arts training, I had the comfort, you know, that really is me punching my fist through a window and grabbing Sharni's hair. Right. In that one scene, we really, we had one window. We had one take. Uh, If, if I'd missed or if I'd hit her or her in any way, we would have been, first of all, we would have felt absolutely awful. Even though Sharni is incredibly tough and incredible trooper. And I can't wait to work with her again, but uh we also would have like been completely screwed in terms of the film like right. we, we we did not have a second take mm-hmm. uh with those things and obviously if sharni got injured so it's like there's a certain extent that Adam and I just didn't trust anyone else right. to play that role um and that's the perfect example it's like like my limited skill set allowed me to lie on the floor with blood on my head uh but i don't think i'm very good at right. acting
0: well it's kind of that, that argento approach too is that he uh he made himself be the, the guy with the black glove that would punch the glass. Yeah. Do the, you know, work with the actors. It's well, and Tarantino has, has
1: done that as well, though. I, uh, I guess uh, some people, you know, uh, just, just to some extent, that's controversial, mm-hmm. you know. But I, I do think there's something to be said for, like, if you have a degree of comfort with I mean, with Sharni on your next, she was really like we were going through the blocking that scene and she was like, you really need to grab my hair. Right. And I, cause I just wasn't doing it. Uh-huh. You know, of course I wasn't doing it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, our lead actress. I'm not going to like, like, you know, I was, I was, I was so erring on the side of caution and, and, uh, gentleness with her that she was getting frustrated with me. Uh-huh. Uh, and she was like, like, like we're, we have one shot at this. And if you don't like grab my hair and jerk my head back, like, I'm going to be so pissed at you. <laughs> and, and, and she kind of revved me up. She kind of could tell that, like, as as producer slash writer slash Tiger mascular, I was like, like not in the character space. Mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking like the character. I was thinking like the producer of like, oh, God, yeah. if I hurt Sharni, uh, you know, everyone, Adam's going to kill me. Right. Um, and also I'll feel guilty for the rest of my life and, and be traumatized. And uh, she could so she kind of had to snap me out of that with like a bit of a like like pep talk of mm-hmm. like like, no, you have to do this uh, or, or like or we won't get it right. And, right. and you know, that's I mean, look, and that's kind of it in a nutshell, really, is I think like, the kind of mentality, the kind of self-consciousness and self-awareness that makes a person a good producer, writer, director um, often is kind of at odds with the ability to just immerse yourself in a character and mm-hmm. think that the, that character's thoughts and feel that character's feelings, and then go back to like waiting in your trailer that like the greatest actors just somehow
0: have Yeah, uh,
1: yeah. working with, you know, people, I, I've had the privilege of working with several great actors, but you know, like someone like Dan Stevens, who you can just put the camera on his eyes and it's almost like um, you can just see that he's thinking what the character's thinking and it's almost unclear what he's even doing physically to articulate that, mm-hmm. But, you know, you just realize that, like, certain actors are at such a level. I would say Amy Simich, Joe Swanberg. You know, I've had the privilege of working with wonderful people like that. And, and that really made me think, like, that was a real eye-opener for me where I realized, like, wait, like, these people are doing true acting. Mm-hmm. I'm a clown, like, doing <laughs> crowd <crap> falls. <laughs> right. And, and that is probably, you know, if, 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 if I ever do another project... Where I can't get an actor show up, or I need a clown to do a pratfall, I'll I'll, I'll put myself in. Right, you know, right. put me yeah. in, put me in there, coach. But like, but I, uh, but it, in general, you know, you'll notice that once Adam and I got budgets, we stopped casting ourselves. Right, we're not yeah. in the guest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. like people, yeah, people yeah. kind of were like, "Why aren't you guys in the party scene, and the guest?" And we we're like. Because we had better extras, <laughs> yeah. like like we had extras who looked better and were younger than us, uh-huh. like, and made more sense, and were better at that job than we were, and and we have the ability to acknowledge that, and and so you know like we weren't like trying to necessarily make ourselves like movie stars. Uh, we were just
0: trying to make movies, right? So, as somebody who wears so many hats on set and, and behind the camera in front of the camera, and do you think that that affects the way you approach a script? Uh, just that you know yeah. how it's laid out. That's a great question, uh,
1: and 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 I actually wish people would ask me that more often. So, thank you very much because oh. uh, I do think probably if I if I can point to the one thing in my bizarre career that like, that I do kind of have, I think a unique perspective on it's that I have always, you know, I didn't major in writing. I actually majored in cinematography when mm-hmm. I finally went off to college, my degree is in cinematography. Um, and I did a lot of crew work, uh, initially. And, and initially I thought my career was going to be, uh, Shooting films that I would direct myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I was going to be a director cinematographer. Mm-hmm. Was was my thinking. All right. And then I wrote a script <laughs> and sold it, and I was like, actually, this is pretty nice too. <laughs> uh, and 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 that film, Dead Birds, premiered at Toronto, and and kind of got my career limping forward, even though I wasn't able to survive off it for a long time until we did your next mm-hmm. actually. Um, that was almost, uh, you know, eight years after that. And so, um, so, you know, but, but, but because I, uh, have a background in production and I always kind of have, cause even making, you know, films on, uh, with like a stolen bull X in high school, I didn't steal it. Someone else stole it. Um, but like, that's true. <laughs> I really didn't <laughs> steal it. Um, but, uh, but at any rate, uh, you know, I always came from a cinematography perspective and camera operating, um, and so I think one of the things that has allowed me to experience success is that when Adam and I start like first met and became friends and started talking about collaborating where I'd be kind of the writer producer and, and he'd do like everything else, all right. uh, including editing and, and all these things that he's just incredibly gifted at writing the music for our films, stuff like that. Um, it was this weird, perfect demarcation of our abilities because I knew what, what the amount of money we could raise mm-hmm. and I knew how to write, for what I knew we could get. Um, there's a reason why, uh, you know, though, though Adam and I were both residing in Los Angeles at the time, we went back to my hometown of Columbia, Missouri to make A Horrible Way to Die, You're Next, and uh, the VHS wraparound segment. Mm-hmm. And it's because I knew that I could get certain resources in my hometown uh, from friends, from childhood friends and stuff that we, that we would never have a chance at getting here in LA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, filming VHS, the just the short little wraparound of VHS, which was the first thing that was ever shot for that film, which is a bizarre process in itself. Uh, we had the cops called on us three or four times. Um, nice. Certainly the, that opening scene in the parking garage, which, um, you know, we were trying to be quite upsetting with uh, working with a wonderful actress, Melissa Boatwright. Um, you know, we had Kentucker oddly like assaulting her while she screamed basically. And <laughs> the cops were there in like minutes and literally pulled up, saw me, he said, Oh, it's you, Simon. And drove off. And, nice. and, and obviously that that's, 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 a, you know, that's a bit of privilege there, mm-hmm. but also I had, I, I had a friend who was friends with the police. Right. And so I had told the police, Hey, we're going to be making this movie. Uh, We don't have permits. But guess what? The city doesn't even have filming permits. Mm -hmm. We couldn't get one if we wanted to. They don't exist here. So just know that if you hear a bunch of screams downtown, you should probably check it out. Like, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) but but there's a chance it's going to be us. Right. And, you know, unfortunately, in in Columbia, Missouri, you know, uh, the police aren't quite as uh, you know busy I, I guess I would just say as, mm-hmm. as they are in, in most um, most more urban areas so you know so that sounds that sounds kind of obnoxious and, and privileged now that I'm hearing myself say it but it, it was an opportunity for me to kind of utilize these childhood connections and, right. and like even you know we all <laughs> stayed in like I, I slept, when we did your next I slept on a futon in my mom's house it wrecked my knee oh. um, well my knee was already wrecked but it wrecked it more Um, but, uh, but, you know, it was like little things like that. I didn't have to put myself up in a hotel. I slept right. right. You know, I could sleep on this like cushion. I think actually, uh, you know, we did a horrible way to die. Like everyone slept at my mom's house. There were like six of us in my mom's basement. She was, she was so happy. I mean, she was, she was just delighted that, that we were doing it. And, and, you know, and that's the kind of, um, weird, positive support you Mm -hmm. can get, you know, from that situation. So, so I wrote a Horrible Way to Die, you know, knowing that we had about $60,000 to, to make, to, to shoot that film. Mm -hmm. And I just wrote like all these places that I knew my friends worked at. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, and once we connected with uh, Joe Swanberg and Amy Simons and realized we actually might have the chance to make like a really good movie. Um, you know, it, it was this, like, it was just, just this, like, okay, like, like we have zero, we had a, our location budget for Horrible Boy to Die, because I put together the budget for that film, was one hundred dollars, mm-hmm. um, which we ultimately gave to a diner. So we so like because we were kind of going a little late, and I was like, "I'll give you a hundred bucks uh-huh. if you don't kick us out of here." <laughs> and they and they did, and then I got like and then everyone yelled at me for doing that because they're like, "Now our budget's gone." Like, what if we need it for somewhere else? And and you know, it really was uh, you know, it really was this this you know amazing situation and and where you know where after Horrible Boy to Die, which was pretty ambitious in that it was like an 18 day shoot with over 25 locations just by nature of that film, which takes place out of chronological order and and is this weird kind of, we thought it was kind of a a funny, uh, you know, drama, but I I don't really know how you define that movie. It's like a serial killer. It's like a depressing serial killer mumblecore comedy. (laughs) Um, But like, uh, you know, after that, Adam was like, fuck it, whatever we do next, I want one location. Mm -hmm. I was like, Done. Like, and then I can go off and like write with that challenge, right. and then and then that became your next.
0: Did you find that a, a difficult challenge to to keep a, a movie self contained like that in one location?
1: No, you know, I love uh, you know, like like I'm a huge fan of of old fashioned murder mysteries. Uh, Agatha Christie, Georgia Hare, like like I I, I devour that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to you know, up to obviously Dashiell Hammett, Raymond Chandler, like classic writers like that, Carol John Daly. Um, and so uh, that actually was very much in the wheelhouse of kind of what I wanted to be doing anyway. When Adam and I started, you know, your next came about for two reasons. Uh, you know, at that point, in our careers, we were just broke. Um, Adam was living on my couch for most of that time. Uh, he, he didn't have a car. I was driving a used uh, Ford Escort that I'd been driving for 13 years at that time. And, um, and we were just like, what can we get into festivals? Like, what mm-hmm. can we sell? Like, right. like, we were really not thinking, like, what do we want to do? But like, what should we be doing to to get to get like our careers where like other people's careers are? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we just kind of saw that that, you know, going to festivals of the horrible way to die. Um, you know, the the story I always tell is, is we premiered. Uh, at Toronto, Horror Boy to Did I premiered, and we were by far the cheapest movie at that festival. I think the next cheapest was like Monsters, Gareth Edwards' film, which was like $500,000. Right. And we, at that time, I think Horror Boy Did I had total cost maybe 75000 So we were very fortunate to be mm-hmm. there. But I mean, even getting our cast there was like, our cast didn't have money. We didn't have money to fly them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, our cast drove, a lot of our casts drove from like Missouri up to Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, which is not a short drive. And so, you know, we were still there, like, like, like sleeping on floors and stuff. And we, you know, the story I'll say is a horrible boy that I premiered right before Insidious. Mm-hmm. And I'd known uh, James Wan and, and, of course, Lee Winnell for a couple of years, not not intimately, but, you know, we, enough to say hi to. You're right. And and um, and so I was able to get into that. And just seeing the crowd response to Insidious versus the crowd response to a horrible boy to die was such a startling like mm-hmm. the silent disappointment that the audience like greeted a horror way to die with versus the mm-hmm. like riotous screams and applause of Insidious. Like I was just sitting there, I was like, "This is this is what we need to do next." Right. Like every fest, every major festival, Sundance, Can, Toronto, uh, South by, you know, they all have a midnight section. Mm-hmm. And realistically, how many good good midnight movies come out a year? Mm-hmm. Like because all these festivals, I mean, don't even get me started on a festival like Fantasia, which goes for like a month, right? Like <laughs> yeah. like you know all these festivals run for about seven to 10 days and they all have a midnight section. And which means there's a massive market in major film festivals for about 30 or so midnight movies. Mm -hmm. And there just aren't that many good midnight movies because a midnight movie is a very specific thing. It has to be fairly short. I mean, Toronto has even kind of opened up its definition of midnight madness. Mm -hmm. uh, Now that Colin Geddes has stepped down and Peter Kapowski stepped up. Uh, and that they're inviting movies like Bodied and The Disaster Artist, which are kind of midnight movie adjacent, but play well to a crowd, um, you know, just to give themselves, I think, more of a variety. You know, they 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 closed down the Vanguard section, though. Now I think they've replaced it with something similar, but that was a section of Hard Way to Die premiered in. And so I was looking really at the festival market um, mm-hmm. and what I felt like people weren't doing um, and what there was like an appetite for, because realistically, I think only about five to 10 good midnight movies come out a year. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking worldwide, right. like, and so these festivals are always eager for this stuff. So we, so Adam was like, we need to do, you know, a, a big midnight movie. Or I, I kind of, I think maybe I said that to him and I was like, that'll take us to the next level. Like we, we need, we need to deliver what people wanted a horror boy to die to be based mm-hmm. on our body of work. Uh, not that anyone really gave a shit about us at the time, but like, you know, we were kind of thinking like, what's, what's the next thing. And and so when he's kind of started talking about like eels and the French movie inside, mm-hmm. uh, L'interieur and, and like martyrs and of course also, um, strangers, you know, I was like, I have, I think maybe a different take on this, but mm-hmm. like that's very much something that excites me is, is people in a room just talking uh, right. is, is the easiest thing to write. That's why, you know, wow. that's, that's hateful eight, right? Like, yeah, you know, that's like the, that's the fun stuff. But again, because, um, because and then there were none uh, is, is probably, you know, the book I read the most as a child. Um, you know, I, I kind of had that structure in my brain. And, and, you know, we talk about this a lot on the commentary for your next. But originally uh, that movie ended with the cop played by Calvin Reeder uh, shooting Sharni's character in the head. Uh-huh. She dies. And then he goes in, and, and the ax trap kills him. So the whole joke was there were sixty, there were sixteen characters in the movie, and they all died on screen. And when the cops showed up, they just find a house full of dead bodies, and have no idea what happened. Uh-huh. Now we kind of realized really quickly, and, and I give our producers uh, Jess Wu and Keith Calder a lot of credit for this. Like basically, as soon as we started shooting, they were like, "We can't kill Sharney's character," mm-hmm. and I was like, "You're absolutely right." Like, like what went, what was funny on the page, it's like the ending to Get Out, right? The same thing they did. The, Jordan Peele did the exact same thing with Get Out, where originally right. he. Uh, the main character was shot by the police at the end, and I get what he was saying with that, And but also after watching that character go through that hell mm-hmm. and escape and succeed, I don't want to see that. I want to see him live. Right. And so it was the same thing with your next. We realized quite quickly that Sharni, Sharni's embodiment of the character of Aaron was so relatable and likable that everyone in the world would hate us if she died at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so that was a quick rewrite that we did shoot it both ways at yeah. my insistence and I was wrong. Oh. That was a waste of time. We should have just, the ending, the, 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 the happier ending was clearly the right. Not that it's too happy an ending.
0: Has that ever happened to you during the, the writing process? Cause you say you start from the ending and, and work towards it. Have you ever had the, the ending change on you while oh, you're always, writing?
1: Always. Yeah. Uh, look, this. This, to me, is a metaphor for film directing, mm-hmm. which is you should plan as much as possible. You should shot list if you if you can afford it and if you have the ability, you should storyboard. You should always be on set with a highly detailed plan that you can fall back upon. But you should also be completely open and spontaneous to anything you see that's better than what you had planned for. Mm-hmm. Like if you show up and you're, you know, it's it's the perfect... Perfect example is, you know, I wrote uh, a film that uh, I was going to be shooting this year. I don't know. I don't know now if that's still happening, that I was going to be directing. And I'd written several scenes in a location that we just couldn't find, but we found other locations Mm -hmm. that look cool and actually look better. And then I'm like, well, if I restage the scene this way and, you know, similarly, like when you're working with actors, you should be open to, you know, in blocking, like what what are their instincts? What's their, what's, what improvisation are they doing? Like, is this better? Mm -hmm. Um, You should always be open to shooting the scene in a different way if suddenly you realize there's an opportunity for things to improve and, 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 you know, and I think writing is kind of the same way. Mm -hmm. Like you should always have a plan. Uh, If you don't have a plan, it's really hard to, I think, write in a sophisticated manner Um, in terms of at least uh, having an intricate narrative, Uh, even, even, even thematically or tonally, I think it's hard to do anything complex if you haven't given it a lot of thought and a lot of planning. So almost 100% of the time I write my ending first, Then I go back to the top of the document, start with scene one. Sometimes I'll jump ahead and write a scene. If I just happen to have that dialogue clear in my head, Mm -hmm. um, I'll keep, you know, sometimes I'll have three or four different files open on my desktop, um, you know, jumping between them, like adding scenes Mm -hmm. to cutting scenes. But maybe I want to put the scene back in Um, and 100 percent time. By the time I reach that ending, I change it. Right. But just knowing that I have that ending there First of all, it makes me feel more confident. Mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not just going down a path that I don't know where it leads. And also, I think to me, that's a really good way to self edit, which Mm -hmm. is if I write a scene and I don't see how thematically or narratively it's getting me closer to that ending, Mm -hmm. even if the scene's fun, you know, maybe it doesn't belong in the script. You right. know, it, and, you, and believe me, you'd rather cut a scene out of a script than shoot a scene and cut it out of the film. Right. right as you well know. Yeah. You know, because then you've wasted days and, and, you, have <laughs> and, to, and, well, and you have to apologize. Well, you have to apologize to actors who aren't in the movie anymore. in right. The worst case scenario. You know, it's 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 a very difficult you know, you, you want to be as hard on your script as possible. Mm-hmm. And and so that's that's my methodology is, is every single line, every single scene. I'm like, is this getting me closer to the to what I think the ending, the great ending of the film is also look, I just personally think endings are more important, mm-hmm. like my favorite filmmakers, you know. Are, 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 filmmakers who always nail the ending, you know, a good, a, a, a mediocre film with a great ending feels like a great film. Right. But, a, but a good film with a bad ending feels like a bad film. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and similarly, like, you know, it, going back to kind of directing and working with actors, you know, a, a great actor can make a bad line work and a bad actor can ruin a great line of dialogue. So ultimately, right. you know, you, when you're directing, you have to be really beholden to their process, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So that kind of spontaneity, like yeah, it's it's structure it's spontaneity, but with a f- structural foundation mm-hmm. is is I is the methodology methodology. Uh, geez, I feel sorry for anyone listening to this. I'm <laughs> I, I, I apologize. Uh, you know, look it, 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 that that I think is what I would recommend for just about any artist in any medium is mm-hmm. is you know know your structure, know your foundation, but be open. To discovery, if you're if you're painting a painting, you know, like I think Adam was telling me some story about like Francis
0: Bacon. I'm not going (laughs) to ask. Ask your question. Do a look up Francis Bacon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, So uh, moving on to something like uh, Blair Witch, Mm -hmm. where you're writing an existing property. What is the the way you enter into that where you already have kind of a, a background?
1: Well, I think every project like that is unique. Um, and, and, and I, and truthfully, I've mostly turned down projects of that nature because I, I really enjoy as much as possible writing my own original stories, mm-hmm. um, and, and creating kind of my own mythologies. That's, that's really what I love the most. So as long as people will let me do that, uh, I will try to do that. Um, that is of course much harder to do, uh, in this market and, and I'm currently struggling with, uh. A couple things right now, so it's very much on my mind. Um, trying to get a couple original projects made, uh, and realizing um, that it's it's not as easy as uh, as it maybe could be. <laughs> but uh, but you know, in the case of Blair Witch, uh, well, you know, a couple things. Uh, one, you know, Adam and I, of course, were friends already with uh, we hadn't met Dan Myrick yet, but we were friends with uh, Eduardo Sanchez and Greg Hale, mm-hmm. um, two of the three kind of original Blair Witch project creators. Uh, we hadn't met Ben Rock yet or other people on their team but we knew those two guys from VHS too. Um, and so we knew we could just ask our friends kind of at any moment. And that, that gave me a lot of confidence right. uh, to take over that project. We, you know, I mean, of course, after your next, you know, I think the thing that people kind of, I don't want to say didn't appreciate cause like who, you know, who ultimately gives a shit, but like, Adam and I kind of got slammed when Blair Witch came out. Everyone kind of basically saying, like, we'd sold out Mm -hmm. um, by not doing another kind of weird original film that made no money like The Guest. Um, But, I mean, we'd been offered so many horror remakes that had come and gone, including films that made a ton of money that we turned down just because we were like, this just isn't creatively exciting to us. Mm -hmm. Now, with Blair Witch, where there's this rich mythology that the whole thing about Blair Witch is they're always only showing you the tip of the iceberg, um, you know, it's, 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 it's like, it's like straight laced tennis shoes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the, that, that great Y line about like, uh, you know, a complex structure underneath. Mm-hmm. And, and so I thought that was really exciting, you know, and especially as a f- huge fan of the original film. And yeah, I'm just gonna say it. I don't like Book of Shadows. Like, that <laughs> <laughs> movie sucks. Like, you're all wrong. Oh my god, I but actually like that one. No, no, it sucks. It's terrible. And 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 uh, and so you know, and obviously Joe Berlinger can can think what he wants about our film too. Uh, you know, it's a matter of opinion, right? But I was really disappointed by that fucking movie when I went to go see it in theaters. And uh, so you know, we all was kind of you know, it was literally like we were at Sundance with VHS too pestering Eduardo and Greg about when they're going to do more Blair witch stuff. And then, you know, about a month later, Lionsgate gave us a call. And, and so, so that was, that was less like, that was a really good project for me to do as my first, like real adaptation of existing material, because I had a preexisting relationship with the original filmmakers that gave me the confidence that if I, you know, was doing anything original or, or changing any of their ideas I could just ask them mm-hmm. if it was OK, and they would tell me because they're honest people. Uh, and furthermore, it was a mythology that I loved and had researched a ton. But also, you know, when we signed up for that project, uh, something people kind of don't realize about these jobs is, you know, Lionsgate had uh, already put a lot of thought into what they wanted the movie to be. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't like Adam and I sat down and were like, OK, we need to make another boy. Which way? What is it? Lionsgate knew pretty much like who they wanted the characters to be and what they wanted the story to be. And because of our, you know, we have a good relationship with the executives on that project, uh, Jason Constantine and Edith Cohen, who bought your next and Mm -hmm. released your next. They were the ones who kind of were like, we think the film should be this. And Adam and I were kind of like, yeah, okay, that sounds about right. right. That sounds about like what what people would want. So when I signed up for that project, um, you know, they had they had like you know, like all these studios have these internal documents. And especially if you're doing a Marvel movie where they've already pre vised half the film before mm-hmm. they even hire a writer director, you know, you, you kind of come in and, and you, it's not like you're, it's not like you don't have creative autonomy. Uh, Lionsgate actually gave us a ton of creative freedom to change, to make changes. And, and, you know, we just had to kind of prove to them why they were good, but they really had a pretty, they had a document with a pretty tight, idea of what they wanted that story to be mm-hmm. so um so that was also you know maybe both a good and bad thing like like in one on one hand you know i do always wonder you know if, if someone just told me like you're making another boy which film what is it would i have followed the structure of the first film so precisely mm-hmm. um i don't know that i would have maybe i would have tried to find a different way to tell that story you know from a more peripheral character or something mm-hmm. you know but We all kind of agreed initially before they even officially hired us, you know, that it was kind of like part of the issue with making a Blair Witch sequel so many years later is kind of we're going to have to remind a new generation of horror fans what it even is. Mm -hmm. And therefore following, you know, I, I, I dislike the fact that that film was labeled like a soft reboot or, or, or you know, a remake or whatever we were calling those movies mm-hmm. then, you know, right. cause, but, but, you know, but at the same time, I can't deny the criticism that we really did follow the structure of the first film very closely. Mm-hmm. And, and that was what we all thought was the right idea at the time. And then you find out that you make a movie in a bubble like that and you find out when it comes out that actually uh, maybe fans and critics wanted something a little more adventurous, you know, Actually, ultimately, what you realize is we made a film for no one Mm -hmm. because the Blair Witch fans who were excited about a new Blair Witch sequel wanted something different and unexpected from us. And everyone else didn't give a shit. Mm -hmm. And so we thought we were making like a mainstream movie for that would please the fans by having all these, you know, kind of, uh, you know, what we thought were very intricate references to the mythology that unfortunately, because we didn't explain things very well, people just kind of misunderstood Mm -hmm. and took very literally in a way that we actually weren't expecting, which uh, that's our fault for sure. And some of the credits are wrong. Like there's a credit that says like Blair Witch Arm, which just confuses people because of course we did not show the Blair Witch in our film, Mm -hmm. uh, nor did we think that was something that would even be possible given our understanding of what the Blair Witch really is. Um, it's not, you know, a visual physical entity, uh, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, to me, you know, we thought we were making a movie for this like mainstream, massive horror audience that really wanted to blur which sequel. And it turned out that was just us.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, are there any of the projects out there that you would love to take on any anything of that nature
1: not really I, i've written a remake of uh i saw the devil that's right. been in development for years and years and years um that i am really proud of uh with with kim ji wounds uh, <laughs> approval mm-hmm. um you know I, I but the the advantage of that is that um you know that's a similar situation to blair Witch, where i think i i, I don't want to speak for for kim ji woon who, who i haven't really interacted with it any great mm-hmm. length, uh, but I think he was more interested in the idea that that I did want to change a lot, mm-hmm. that I didn't just want to follow the original film precisely, that I wanted to kind of take the amazing characters and 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 setup um, and do some go in a different direction with it. And uh, so I am, you know, that was kind of a dream project for me. Uh, If it ever gets made, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it'll be more of one. Um, But that was a a project that I saw the devil was something that, you know, uh, Adam and I kind of chased. I don't think Adam, I think if that film happens, I'd I'd be very surprised if Adam were still directing it at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, we're at that point where it needs to be kind of refigured out. And so it, there's a great likelihood that that film will never happen. Mm-hmm. And that was a waste of time. Cause I did that for, uh, I also did that for almost no money. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I was so passionate about it, but, uh, but, uh, I, I think I got paid, uh, yeah, WGA low budget minimum, mm-hmm. uh, and, and then did a few unpaid drafts just cause I, I really wanted to do that film. Um, so that was that, you know, that was a really particular passion project where I love the original, I saw the devil. But I, I instantly, even the first time I watched it at, at actually Toronto uh, in 2010, um, I started to have ideas of like like wow, what if this like what a great hook? What if you did something else with it? Mm-hmm. Even as much as I love the original and I love I love where the original goes, I, I saw like a different version of that movie. And mm-hmm. there's a few movies like that. There's a few books. I, I recently optioned a book series. Um, mm-hmm from its author that I'm hoping to turn into a a TV, a a TV series, actually, it wouldn't work as a film. Mm -hmm. Um, every now and then I'll, I'll be inspired by something, but usually I, I really do try to um, come up with my own original stories and, and I try to never repeat myself. I try to, uh, always try to push myself to do something that I think I haven't seen before. And Mm -hmm. I try to watch everything. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so no, uh, usually if you see me, And and again, I've turned down projects that, uh, you know, my my representation um, are still bitter about. Quite quite quite. I'm speaking quite truthfully, right? Um, And 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 if I was a smart person, I would probably have a lot of regret about that. But because I'm um, a a strange, depressed filmmaker, I actually have no regrets. Mm because if anything, I kind of wish we hadn't done *Player Witch*. Um, <laughs> though I'm very proud of that film, and and I love the experience of making it. Uh, but but that's I kind of regret having done you know any non-original projects at this point in my career because uh, mm-hmm. I think you know it, it, it's tough. Not that not that again. Not that anyone should give a shit about my opinion on anything. But you know when we didn't think your next we thought your next was a complete failure and we thought the guest was a massive failure. Um, You know, when we went to go see your next in theaters in an empty theater in Albuquerque, New Mexico, it wasn't even on the marquee outside because it was listed alphabetically and they'd run out of room. Oh my God. So we, so we saw opening night, the only people in the theater with our cast and crew from the guest And just like, you know, silence. Mm -hmm. And then the film underperformed uh, because it had been on the shelf for a couple of years. And The Purge and such had already come out uh, in the interim. And then The Guest, you know, when The Guest premiered uh, at Sundance, it felt like the main response was like, you know, we're not quite sure what this is. These guys, we thought they were going to do a horror movie. We don't quite get the humor of this. And uh, and again, that movie, you know, look up the box office of The Guest. It is. Pathetic. Uh-huh. We, we we really thought we'd lost our financiers a ton of money, and so you know we thought we were like basically about to, you know we thought we were like three strikes you're out. We got to do we got to do a, a home run. We got to uh-huh. do Blair Witch. We got to do something people actually want. And then only when that came out did we realize, oh wait, people love the guest in your next, and now they're <laughs> mad at us for doing this. Uh-huh. This is our failure. Uh, and, and so, you know, so, so just the process of making films and the years it takes, you know, I mean, look, if you're listening to this and you've seen the guest, I, I, chances are you didn't see it in theaters, you know? Right. And, and, and so that process of, and that was not a cheap film, you know, that was like almost like a $4 million movie, I think ultimately. And. You know, so 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 it's easy to second guess yourself, especially I think coming from, you know, a working class background where I I think, you know, I do always have this sense that I'm extremely fortunate and also I, this career could be taken away from me at any moment, in which case I have nothing to fall back upon because I have no skills mm-hmm. and I can barely interact with other human beings, as, as you're discovering now yourself. And, you know, I'm fine when I'm working. I'm fine directing actors and talking to executives. But uh, otherwise, I'm just like useless. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I I'm just not like a talented person when it comes to like, I don't, what am I supposed to do? Graphic design? I don't know how to right. do that.
0: I don't have any skills. No, my job before this was working at the post office. I,
1: that's not where I want to go. That, that sounds like, and that sounds like a fucking great job to me. I'll tell you, I applied for the post office uh, at, when I was uh, like nineteen or so before I went mm-hmm. off to college, um, and I, I was only in college for a couple of years. Uh, but uh, but I they turned me down. <laughs> so oh, I couldn't yeah. get I couldn't get in there. Well, before so, then. <laughs> so so you know so look I yeah I I completely hear you and and you know and so. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one. Uh, You know, if, if, if someone were to offer me, you know, just the right thing, I would, I would do it. But I mean, you know, it it really would have to be just right. Like, Mm -hmm. like Blair Witch was a magical, as much as everyone didn't like that film and didn't like us for doing it and didn't like our commentary track, which is, you know, actually uh, our commentary track's awesome. Um, and if you watch the Blu-ray, it also has a two hour making of documentary that answers all your questions, which no one bothered to watch (laughs) dread central. Um, and, uh, you know, and so, so it wasn't like we were actually being jerks. We were, we were, we were kind of making a joke, but, um, but like you know, Blur, which was a magical series of circumstances with uh, our friendship with the filmmakers and our passion for that material. And I saw the devil very similar thing, love the producers involved. We were able to bring uh, Keith Calder and Jess Wu onto that project. Um, and, you know, and, and just again, our passion for that film, you know, really drove me to to, I think, do something different. But, you know, in this book series that I have optioned, which I, I, I don't think I should talk about quite yet. Um, you know, again, I not only love those books, I love that author. And and I'm excited to, like, bring his work to a wider audience Mm -hmm. if I succeed, which, you know, is always a flip of the coin. But uh, but yeah, it it has to be really, really special Mm -hmm. for me, I think, to engage with someone else's uh, creative ideas right now.
0: And it sounds like it's important to you to get that uh, uh, to work with your original content creators Mm -hmm. in there. Well, yeah, because I I guess I consider myself an original content creator.
1: Mm. And boy, I uh, actually I wouldn't actually if anyone out there wants to remake uh, any of my films, actually, I don't care. You can go do that. But well, you can't probably legally because like Lionsgate on some and such. Probably work out the details. Yeah, work out the details. But like but yeah, if if like if there was going to be, for example, like a Korean remake of your next, uh, I would just be like the first to see it in theaters. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I would I would would not have I would not need to have any uh, input on what they were doing. Yeah. you know, so you know. Look, it's it's really tricky. Uh, it, it, I you I think the creative. I think you really have to respect the original fans, and the easiest way to respect the original fans is to make sure the original creator uh, is interested in what you're doing. And and you know, look, um, I, I watch a lot of anime and I read a lot of manga, uh, and you know, and and like that is, I think, the perfect like lose lose. of of adaptations right now, Mm -hmm. because the fans don't want it. Um, It it gets caught up in a kind of whitewashing debate, which is very complicated. And beyond that, you know, the way these studios kind of are buying these properties, you know, you don't really know what the original creators relationship is to what you're creating. And and I think Adam got slammed with Death Note, which was funny because the original creator of Death Note loved Adam's film. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't work on Death Note. This this is not coming from my own personal beef, though. Obviously, I have my loyalties. Uh, but but you know that was that to me was a kind of interesting situation where Adam did something uh, radically different that I think he thought was commenting on kind of fandom in a way, and uh, people were not happy. Mm-hmm. And and you know and look, I don't, I don't want to. I'm not in a position to really discuss that uh, in any detail because I don't fully understand it. But um, but you know that's a really good example of like. You know, you just can't win uh, in, in certain situations. Uh, so I, I, I'm i very cautious. I think the original creator has to be respected first and foremost, um, just like I would want the option to be respected mm-hmm. if someone were adapting my own work. And uh, and, you know, and that's just kind of a, a, a no brainer to me of how to be polite. Mm mm-hmm.
0: Well, I know you gotta get out of here uh soon. Here. Oh, yeah, so yeah, um, yeah, yeah. um so what can we look forward to on the horizon here? I don't
1: know. I, I, I really have had some some ups and downs uh this year. I, I'm trying to direct uh, a couple of features. Uh I think I have one set up in the spring. Um I had another project uh called Seance, which is a murder mystery at a girls' boarding school that Adam's producing, but um I don't I don't know if that's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so we're kind of I'm kind of in a limbo right now, wow. which is which is what, how I was able to do this, which is great. Yeah. Well, we all
0: know you're on Twitter now, so we uh, uh, yeah, can yeah. follow well, you. And uh, if my life goes well, maybe it's one day I won't be. Yeah. <laughs> we're all looking forward to that for, for all of us. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? One day we can all get off social media. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming by. This has been great. This has been awesome. Oh, thanks for having um, me. I appreciate it. Special thanks to Simon Barrett for stopping by and having a chat with us in the studio today. Thank you all for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please uh, subscribe for more and uh, be sure to check out all of Fangoria's other wonderful podcasts. And until next time, go write something. Whenever you come in here and interrupt me, you're breaking my concentration. You're will then take my time to get back to where I was. You've distracted you We're gonna make a new rule. In here, that means that I am working. work. work working. working. you me. make a new rule. In here, that means that I am working. That means don't come in. How do you think you can handle that? Penning Terror is a Fangoria Podcast Network original. Produced and hosted by David Ian McKendry. Executive Producers
1: Dallas Sonnier and Phil Nobile Jr. Produced by Natasha Passetta, Associate Producer Jessica Safa Vemer. Art and Design by Jason Koslerich. Sound Recording
0: Design and Mixing by David Ian McKendry. For Fangoria, Brandon Weinardi.